I'm Joseph Bahout. I'm a, I'm a political analyst, political scientist. I teach political science for a long time now in Paris, and I uh, also have a research activity mainly in Carnegie, with Carnegie in Washington and now abroad. And I uh, also work as a consultant mainly for the French Ministry of Foreign Affairs. <music> In terms of long-term long historical comparisons, I would say that what's happening today and in the region since 2010-2011 is, without any doubt for me at least, uh, something of a historical uh, magnitude-like uh, events, for example, like the, the crumbling of the Ottoman Empire, the formation of the states in the 20s, mm. then maybe the post-Israeli uh, uh, creation period, post-48, the revolutions of the 50s, and now also it's a turning point in the history of the Arab world and, and, and in the region in general. Now for Lebanon, I think definitely it's something new, because it is maybe, and imperfectly, and it will take time, turning the page of something that has ended with the war, the, post the post-war period, the Ta'if era, I think it was uh, already very much scorched and, and wounded in 2005 with the assassination of Rafiq Hariri. Mm. Then we entered the kind of limbo period that is very difficult to define because it was uh, in Lebanon very fluctuant and then you had the, two, uh, the 2011 events in Syria that added to the fluctuation. And now with what's happening today in the streets in Lebanon and in the region also, I have the impression, it's maybe imperfect, it has to be refined, that we are turning this whole chapter, we are ending this whole chapter, entering in a chapter that is still to be written, we don't know, not, we don't, we know nothing about it, it's very, let's say, flawed uh, in terms of vision, it's very hazardous, we don't know exactly where we are going, but um, I think that definitely things are starting uh, again. You know, I, I like that you, I think you've pointed at every historic marker for this part of the world from World War One up until today. So, it, and, and I like that you also included domestic calls for reform, including the Ustink movement not too long ago, a few years ago. But I want to get at maybe the crux of the issue. What is happening at the moment on the streets of Beirut, do, do you sense that it's a, it's a yearning for political change? Or is it simply a an issue of economic stagnation and deterioration where people are demanding something perhaps, perhaps a lot simpler than a historical makeover. In fact, it's all of the above and none of the above because it's, and this is why I, I was referring to the, what I call sedimentation, 205 and then yeah. 2015, 16 and now, and maybe other episodes that I'm forgetting now. But if you take the 205, it was, uh, almost only political. It yeah. was sovereignty, right. uh, Lebanon first, and etc. It was completely political, and other issues were put aside, and sometimes maybe wrongly. 2015-16 yeah. was all social and not political. It was, right. we want better governance, we want better municipality management, we want waste management that yeah. is better. I think today it's the start of the blend of all this. And maybe this is why it's important and new, because it is starting to link mm. macro-political issues and micro-political issues. None of these, uh, of both, is, is enough to change things in a country, in a society. It's yeah. only when you link uh, issues like macro-politics, regional and local, Things like constitutional change and system change and etc. Things like day-to-day uh, -day governance, economic mismanagement, corruption, day-to-day -day issues like internet speed, like a traffic jam, like uh, your garbage at home and etc. And things that are also very interesting in what's happening now in Beirut that are very cultural. A new way of expressing uh, uh, ourselves in the public space, this, yeah. this youngster phenomenon, the creativity, that the artistic creativity Activity. Yeah. All this together, this entire spectrum of, of things, I think, is um, the explanation of why what's happening today is, is very important. Now, having said that, mm. the fallback or the shortcoming of what's happening is that it is still not expressed enough. 
in terms of, let's say, political thematics, in terms of headlines, in terms of programmatic expression, and etc. And this has to do, probably, and we will talk about it, I would like maybe to delve into that. It has to do with the, with the sociology of the movement that is very diverse, which is good, but also that also could usher to some risk of fragmentation of the streets. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm assuming here there's a stark difference between the momentum that led to March 14, 2005, mm -hmm. where there was a, an upswell of emotion that led to a reconfiguration of sorts with leadership at the top. And they were very visible leadership that lasted years on. Mm -hmm. This time around, three months after the October revolt, 17th of October, I can't point to one name yet, or I can't say that one name matters more than another name. And I don't, I mean, we can get into this a bit. I don't think October 17 was about getting Hassan Dieb into power. So his name is not the name. Definitely not. <laughs> so, and the potential lists of ministerial portfolios that was released, I don't know if any of those names even resonate among any protesters on the streets. So those are not the names that are that are meant to sort of uh, transition into power. Three months and potentially four months and, you know, what could last months on end. Is the strength of the momentum curtailed without leadership? Or do you think the strength is that this is continuously fluid and you can't point the finger? I think you're touching the crux of the issue. I mean, this is really the core question. Um, I, I don't think that the prior reason for, let's say now, this kind of fatigue that we are witnessing in the yeah. movement is due to the leaderless aspect or the faceless aspect mm. or the nameless mm. aspect of it, although it is something that has to be tackled at one yeah. point. Uh, now, when you refer to uh, March, uh, 20, uh, March uh, 14 of 2005, uh, what's interesting today, and maybe what I will say is a bit provocative, What the, the main difference, and for me this is why it's much more important, is that most of the figures that were produced by March 14 are today also contested. And this mm -hmm. is the meaning yes. of, the, of the slogan, Kelonia Nikelon. Yes. Uh, all means all is, uh, is, is a way of, let is, let, let, let's put it this way, to go beyond uh, 14th, March 14th and right. March, March 8th. Right. And this is, I think, the, the importance of the moment. It's, it's really the, the, the getting beyond the divide and the cleavage that was inherited. Now, There's a caveat here and a footnote that we have to tackle, which is the Shia issue, mm -hmm. because uh, in a way, after the first two weeks, the Shia public, let's say, was put aside from the protest mm -hmm. very smartly by, by Hezbollah and by Hassan Nasrallah. We'll get back to that. But uh, now, is the movement going nowhere because it doesn't have a figure, a prominent figure to put on, on the table, a prominent leader or a set of leaders and etc. Here also we have to go for some comparison with what's happening in the Arab world. I mean, if you look at today the revolutions that we call in our jargon, the, revolution, the Arab revolutions 2.0, the new ones, yeah. meaning Algeria, Sudan, Iraq, um, Egypt at some point and etc. and Lebanon, yeah. they are all very much leaderless and, and faceless and, and unorganized willingly. Yes. Now it has to do with this fear of being co-opted, of being decapitated by the power. This is a partial explanation. I think something more interesting and more fascinating is that these uh, protest movements don't want to replicate and to imitate and to resemble anything the state they are contesting is about, which is a kind of deep contradiction. They want to replace the state, but they don't want to be like the state. In fact, in French, we have a very interesting word for that we call these revolution degagism meaning uh, we follow uh, this is the main slogan yes. leave please yes. pack up and leave but we are not saying or these people these protest movements are not saying leave we want to replace you mm -hmm. leave and then we want other people more maybe technocratic more efficient more etc to replace you which is i think the beginning of the impasse politically because when you say leave and we want people who are purely technocratic purely technicians to replace you we are putting politics outside the realm and this is where i think there's a 
a kind of contradiction in the movement. The, the movement has to assume and to take in charge the political aspect of things, even though it doesn't want to organize and to, and to, to grant itself leaders and etc. But it can't say we are only there to say that we don't want this and that, but we don't want to get into the issue. We only want to be influencers, we only want to be protesters, we only... And this is where I think politics will have to be brought in again in this movement. Politics in the classical way, although it doesn't please most of the young protesters because culturally they come from elsewhere, maybe what I'm saying is, is very much attached to, to my generation and the way we are used to do things politically, i.e. to organize, to have a political bureau, to talk like old chunks. And, but this is the way we do things. And if we want to replace this power with something yeah. functional, yeah. Uh, at one point, we'll have to get into that. Now, um, probably there are new ways to do that, which are alien to us, our generation. The youngs, I mean, this young generation has maybe means to do this that are new and alien to us. We have to learn them. Are you talking But, more about technology? Yeah, the technology, more, yeah. the way to organize, the, the way to be more horizontal, as they say, and yeah. refuse yeah. hierarchy. Maybe. I, I respect that and I admire that. And anyway, this fascinates me. Mm -hmm. But at one point, when you want to do politics, there are political ways that, that exist since thousands of years. I mean, you won't escape that. Sure, and an inevitability of some form of election will require of election, some leadership, programmatic yeah. expression, sure. yeah, yeah. clarification of some of points, and etc. Yeah. Now, this unclarification is useful because now it helps the movement uh, to keep on and to keep the momentum, because once they get into details, Friction and fractionalization will become will will begin, Now, and this is normal. Also, yeah. but I want to go back just a bit towards the the what perhaps at least triggered the momentum behind what we're seeing. Would you put? I mean, I, I, you said it in a way that it's it, it, it's all encompassing, meaning that people want political change, they want economic change, and they want I think decency at the end mm -hmm. of the day. Normalcy and decency. Normalcy and something yeah. that where they can bet on the future yeah. rather than mm -hmm. reluctantly deal with the present. Do you put any weight on the economic breakdown as at least the, the, the core unifying uh, issue? And what I'm asking here is remove the economic decline, stabilize the lira. Would you sense that all these protesters would remain on the street chanting wanting something better, according to what you've described, which is really a, a new stage, a new chapter? Or is it really about economics and that when there's no money in this country, people do resort to demonstrations and they stay on the streets? And I, and I ask only because it's, it seems like the buildup to October 17 was less reform on the on the power sharing level and more to do with just pain yeah. genuine pain and i'm just curious about that is the pain the requirement for these protesters to continue and if you if you alleviate it will they go home two two or three things first i think that my fear and and this is a fear and i probably i'm wrong and maybe in the future i'll be proven wrong but if the economic slash painful uh, level of things is away, I'm afraid that the old political cleavages will pop up and mm. resurface again. Mm. Uh, March 8th, March 14th, Syria, Iran, Hezbollah, the resistance, Lebanon first, all these slogans that are still there looming around. They are in the street. What, what is fascinating in the street now, if you go there, is that you have both publics. You have people who come from a kind of resistance yes. yeah. culture and people mm -hmm. who come from a sovereignty culture, right. sovereignist culture, and etc. They are there because of the mismanagement, the economic pain, the crisis, and etc. So this is one question. And they're all impacted yeah, the exactly. same way. So, yeah. so, so this is why starting to talk politics, and this is what was, uh, I, was, I was exactly saying before, starting to talk politics, really, I mean, to put things on paper, ideas, programs, 
when they say we want to, 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 to the fall of the, of the Nizam, we want Yaskot uh, Nizam, replace it with what is something that we have to start thinking about mm -hmm. if we don't want to fall again in the old cleavages, once the economic issue is away, and it won't be away soon. This is point one. Point two, what's interesting is that the economic, and the, the economic malaise that has been piling up for years and maybe for decades yeah. uh, was the trigger of this. But yeah. then, when all this started, the economic collapse, and it's not anymore a crisis, it's a collapse, right, right. has become the main actor of the crisis. Today, I think the, the strongest actor in, in Lebanon is neither the Ahad or Hezbollah or the street or the opposition or Hariri or... It's the lira as an incarnation, as a symbol of the economic collapse. Absolutely. I think the economic collapse and the, and the pace it will take very quickly as of now will be the main actor. And this actor doesn't have a political preference. It's yeah. neither with Iran nor with the US, neither with right. On uh, or with Gibran Basile or with Hariri or yeah. with... It is a macroeconomic dynamics that doesn't ask anyone about its opinion. So it will happen and it yeah. will be painful. Mm -hmm. Which leads me to, thir to yeah. point three, uh, uh, just to finish on that. My fear also is that once this happens, we will not be anymore talking about classical politics because once we are in the full collapse and we are heading towards that, mm -hmm. unfortunately, yeah. so far, if nothing changes. And this collapse will be really nightmarish. I mean, it won't be something nice. It won't be anymore the, the revolt or the protest of middle-class youngsters in, right. in Sahta Shahada. It yeah. will be very awful. I mean, yeah. you will see it. It will be the revolution of the Hungary. Yeah, okay, absolutely. And this will take and put us in a different picture. Yeah. This is where a political question will open that is very anguishing. Who will benefit from that? Hezbollah can benefit from that yeah. if it plays it populist. The army can benefit of that because it will play on the security mm -hmm. phobia. Mm -hmm. uh, other forces could play with it or we can easily get into a Congolese scenario. I mean, get uh, really slide toward open violence, yeah. unending violence, and etc. And this is the nightmarish scenario. This is why also there is a need to become political, to start becoming political, in order to reap this moment that will happen. This, hap this moment is not a choice. It will happen. And if the movement is not enough doesn't start to structure itself enough, it will be, let's say, dépassé by or swept over by this revolution of the Hungary, which will have a completely different software. It won't ask people anymore about their cultural preference, the political preference, yeah. etc. You will be you will be faced with a scene where really very populist slogans will be on the table, slogans like we want to nationalize the banks, we want to break the houses of the rich people, you know, this kind of, yeah. of, of, of cultural phenomenon that, that is completely understandable in such, a, in such a circumstance. But at that moment, I think that the nice and rosy picture of the, of the protest will be over. It will be put aside and, and most of the people in the street will also be frightened by, yeah. by what's, what, what will happen. That and this is where the fragmentation, the yeah. sociological diversity of the movement yes. that is interesting and is an asset by itself will become maybe a liability. And anarchy is a threat to the ruling class by default. Exactly. And yeah. this is why part of the movement, and here I'm, I'm saying things that will not please some people, part of the movement, the, the radical part, let's say, is betting on that openly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you can see it on social media and Facebook and elsewhere. They are betting on the collapse by saying, okay, once the collapse will occur, yeah. all this classical game will be swept away and, and right. new rules will be established. The question is, for these people, are you up to these new rules or not? And who will be, let's say, the, the prominent player at that point? And this frightens right. some let's say, the, the, the middle-class bourgeoisie part of the movement, what in Egypt we call Hezb al-Kanabaya. I mean, people who are, in fact, just want change, but they don't want, let's say, a revolutionary yeah. change or chaotic change or etc. I want to ask you, from, since you've, in a way, you've been able to watch this from abroad while you were in Paris, 
and you've also been here for parts of it, and you provided input to the economic emergency mm -hmm. reform paper. And I, I hope you don't mind me saying this, that there is a, an updated version that could be released soon. So that's an economic sort of focused paper. But you've also watched the political changes that have happened. And I want your opinion on the, the center of power that is perhaps betting on the revolution to go away. And I want to gauge you on this. Do you sense that the momentum, and I mean the average protester, today a little more afraid of going to the street, or perhaps less willing to confront, is a byproduct of Hezbollah's indirect sort of pressure to have this simply just disappear. And what I'm asking here is, do you think that what we've seen happening the last three months is a consequence of Hezbollah's perhaps fear that this revolution could also spell something bad for them. Definitely this is, this is a factor that has played in uh, the phobia, the paranoia of, of Iran and, and its proxies and Hezbollah in Lebanon about what's happening in Iraq, Iran, Lebanon at the same time and now the killing of, of Soleimani that has added a very complicated factor to mm. all this is definitely something. But I think it's much deeper and much graver than that. Mm. And you touched the point, you are nailing a very important point. Uh, look, if, if we put it simplistically, it's been now almost 80 days since it started. I think that uh, now we are at the end of the second set of the match. The first set <laughs> was won by the by the protest. That's by nice. the so how yeah. many sets are there for this match? Um, six, five, five usually. Six, no, yeah, five, I don't know. <laughs> can change the rules <laughs> also. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so so the first set was was won by the street in in the sense that the the, the power was groggy. The power structure was groggy for a while. Yeah. They didn't understand what happened. I yeah. mean, all the power structure. Yeah. All of them. Yeah. So they clear. took the blow, was, yeah. and then they took time to realize what's happening and etc. Set two, I think, my fear is that it has been uh, won by, by the power structure. Mm -hmm. The naming of Hassan Diab, yeah. uh, the fact that the movement is withering away slowly, yeah. but I don't, I'm, not, I'm sure it's not, it's not uh, I mean, given for, 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 uh, for long. But this is phase two. Now, let me say a few words on this phase two, and this is what you exactly were saying. The Hezbollah factor was one of this. Mm -hmm. But I think that if we also take the metaphor of other revolutions that are happening in the country, in the, in the region, you have this tremendous force of what we call the counter-revolution. Mm -hmm. And counter-revolution is not only a security structure or a political structure, it's a, it's a political culture that mm -hmm. is in the region mm -hmm. that plays on several things. Hezbollah plays on the fear of the plot, of the American plot to break the resistance axis. Okay, it plays a role. Mm -hmm. And then you have the fear of the economic collapse. Right. The, the, the Parti de l'Ordre, as yes. we call it, or Hezb el yeah. the order party, of people who are saying, okay, we want a better governance, we want a better day-to-day -day living, but in fact, we don't want to rock the boat. We don't yeah. want to see banks closing, and right. because most of them are working in the system. Right. They are right. lawyers, they are sure. bankers, they sure. are middle-class people, yeah. and etc. And then you have the third aspect of the, the third, let's say, ammunition or the third uh, uh, factor or the third, let's say, ingredient of counter-revolution that is fatigue. And yes. this is where time is important and structuration of the movement becomes important. Right. And then you have uh, the, 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 the economic crisis, the, this actor that no one is taking uh, into account enough yet. Right. And all these ingredients have fabricated the counter-revolution. So Hezbollah has played its role on the Shia part of it. Mm -hmm. So they have, I think, dried up the Shia street for its majority. And then they have alluded to and given some hints that they could use violence. Yeah. But we haven't we haven't spilled into we haven't uh, been into into violence like in Iraq or in Iran where right. you have thousands of deaths. Yeah, they absolutely. didn't have to do that in Lebanon. Yeah. Only the shade of it was enough 
to already frighten certain people in the street. And yeah. then you have the other aspects that are the economic fatigue yeah. and time. This is where Lebanon is different from Iraq and elsewhere yeah. because the economic fatigue and the economic collapse is much stronger. Yeah. We don't yeah. have that in Iraq or in, in Algeria who are in fact rich countries, oil countries where you have wealth and etc. They don't need money from the IMF and etc. Lebanon is a wealthy country also, but its wealth has been completely evaporated by by the leading by the, the dominant class that is both political and economic we have to say yeah. so the counter revolution is something that is much more sophisticated than only Hezbollah frightening people in the street and I will add something that maybe also will not please certain people the last episode of what we have lived after the Hariri ousting from power, yes, he yes. ousted himself. Yeah. Also, he played the counter-revolution. The fact that Saad Hariri, for example, uses so extensively the Sunni street mm. for mm. only a sectarian, let's say, cause that, okay, mm. they stole they stole the prime ministership from me, I want it back, and etc. is not something that is helping very much the protest, and it is fueling the counter-revolution. Mm. Because ultimately, and this is maybe part of your question, Hezbollah would love to see the landscape in Lebanon back to something like March 14 and March 8. This is the, this is the habitat it is very much at ease because, uh, with, because it will say, okay, this is a classical game we've been living since 2005, this is a plot to break us, and etc. Go back to your own street, we have our own street, and etc. So we are replicating the same game again. This is why the revolution was very clever in putting uh, first and foremost the slogan of Absolutely. to say yeah. Hariri and others, you are all the same yeah. for us, and don't play on us or don't, let's say, ride the wave of the street in yeah. order to get to your own aims. But all this is the counter-revolution. At one point, you can't rule out that Hariri will maybe make a new deal with Hezbollah and on and rule again. And so the street has to stick to its slogan of and avoid anything that could resemble the old cleavage because I think the old cleavage is one of the features of the counter-revolution. Mm -hmm. So it's a way of answering you. So Hezbollah plays its role in this, but it plays part of the script. It's not yeah. the entire script. All others are playing. I think the, the entire political class would at some point collude together in order to kill this revolt and this protest by using sometimes their own contradictions, because they know that their own contradictions, if they swallow people in them again, they will be enough or they will be a guarantee that the protest will die and stop. I mean, it is clear the last few years prior to these protests that there was a, a marriage of convenience among several groupings and it l lined up more on Hezbollah's terms than perhaps 10 mm -hmm. years ago or even 15. But now, is it foreseeable that a protest movement that, let's say, does what you're describing, which is organizes to a degree and has some political power and potentially sees itself in elections, do you can you imagine Hezbollah able to accommodate that kind of uh, momentum? Or, and what I'm asking here is, it almost seems like there's an inevitable wall that even if the most uh, decent demands are fought for, yeah. they, they tend to get, in a way, curtailed and, and oftentimes killed because of the way this country has handled a group like Hezbollah the last, maybe since Taif. And I'm, I'm curious just, is, is there any room for hope so long as there's an armed group that is able to maybe influence things, whether it's soft intimidation or, or hard intimidation? So far, unfortunately, you're completely right. So far, this is it. Mm -hmm. But I wouldn't put, let's say, the, the only reason for that on the existence of Hezbollah as an armed group. This is very important. Mm -hmm. But look, we are, we are talking today, you and me, three days after the killing of Qasim Suleiman. Right. Something like that, that is not done by Hezbollah, it's done by the nemesis of Hezbollah, I think has very much crippled uh, the dynamics of the revolution of the street. Because now, and yesterday Hassan Nasrallah was very clear by saying that, saying regardless of small Lebanese details, now, after this kidding, 
it's clear either you are with us or you are against us. So if in the street you are saying I'm against the power structure in Lebanon within which Hezbollah is and this power structure is protected by Hezbollah and wanted by Hezbollah because it serves its interests and etc. But I don't want to talk about the weapons of Hezbollah because it's not the matter now. Hezbollah will answer you okay fine it's nice what you say but in fact now gloves are off it's either with us or Mm -hmm. against us. So in a way if I want to put it simply, I would say that the killing of Soleimani that doesn't lend a service to the revolution. It's not mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. positive. It's not that we have to take a position for or against and, yeah. and, and, and good riddance with Qasem Soleimani, but it doesn't serve because now if you are saying we want the fall of this system and etc., Hezbollah will tell you, yeah, okay, so you are willingly or not, stupid, naively or not, you are part of this adventure that is trying to break Iran and the axis of resistance right, and etc. Right. So this is why I would have done uh, easily without this assassination in Iraq, although it is maybe a, a, a game changer on the global scene, on, mm-hmm. the, on the regional scene, but on the domestic scene, and this is where the revolution has to be politically smart and, and, and clever, not to get into that, neither with yeah. nor against. I mean, this is not our issue. I mean, fine. We all have our opinion. I mean, the street should say every one of, of the protesters has its own opinion about Qasem Soleimani, yeah. but we are still considering that Hezbollah in Lebanon is protecting a corrupt and, and inefficient system, right. regardless of its regional policies. Because, in fact, yeah. what is happening elsewhere in the Arab world doesn't have anything to do with Hezbollah in, in Algeria or etc., for example. And also, the economic system that we are... Uh, contesting in Lebanon and that has now reached its kind of lethal end has not started because or or with Hezbollah. It has started because we made wrong choices in the 90s about the political economy. Something very structural. Of course, Hezbollah was part of that. Syria was part of that because part of the corruption in the 90s and the 2000s was very much linked to the the Syrian Lebanese uh, economic mafia and financial mafia. But it's not only that. There is something that is purely Lebanese into that and that we have to confront. And I think that and I agree with you, I fully agree with you, every event uh, contributes to building this wall that is uh, that the Lebanese are hitting every time they are trying to change. Because every time you are trying to talk about your day-to-day life, your small issues, your, your reality, in yeah. fact, you are confronted to big issues that are not forcibly something of your concern. Right. And you are forced to take a position on that. Are you yeah. against or with that? Look, I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about <laughs> my electricity, my taxation system, my banking system. Yeah. But the system answers you with, no, but you have to tell me, are you with me or against me? Right. Where domestic becomes geopolitical even when you're not talking about regional stuff. Exactly. Yeah. You, are, you are sunk into that. You right. are sucked into that. Right. Now, I, I like what you said earlier about Lebanon being almost entirely non-violent story the last few months. If I'm not mistaken, only one protester was killed. Yeah. And that is remarkable. Exactly. Iraq, and you said it, thousands. Iran, potentially thousands as well. In Syria, the number is endless, regardless of what has happened. But that is quite astonishing. Mm -hmm. If the protesters are to continue what we see the last... I mean, really, the last few days were... There's a, I don't want to call it violence because it's not traditional violence, but there is, there is a, a level of intolerance, I think, that things are not changing fast yeah. enough. And you see banks being, exactly. you know, attacked. You see, uh, you see things that are startling where the system, and I don't mean the political system, I mean the basic uh, economic, what's left of it, is crippled. Is there a way f- to enact decent demands for change in Lebanon without taking those steps and endangering what's left of the financial sector, what's perhaps breaking and and burning things. Look, within limits, I don't think there's any uh, 
protest movement or revolutionary, let's say, dynamics or phenomenon that is completely violence-free. Okay, mm -hmm. even the gilets jaunes in France yeah. and etc. You have some some doses of violence. This is not what worries me, but what you say, what you describe, and this is exactly what I had in mind when I talked about the next step of, of the crisis, mm. when the economic system will collapse and not only be in crisis, and you will have this revolution of the hungry. This is exactly the videos that are circulating now so on social media. It's the avant-goût. It's yeah, the... It's yeah, yeah. the It's the shade of it. It's the appetizer of it. it what you see yeah. in Halba, in some banks or sometimes elsewhere, is what I'm afraid of having as the main scene, not only the sideshow yes. today. Yes. And this is where I think the revolution should start thinking seriously about this step because we are heading mm. towards that. Mm. So, uh, of course, some violence will... I mean, look, there are, there are certain small-scale violences that are, I think, interesting and nice and positive. For example, I'm taking a very immediate example. Yesterday, the ousting of, was, of a political figure from a restaurant yeah. in Beirut. This or, is the most... Uh, that, that to me is or another right. one from yeah. AUB. Okay, Absolutely, this is yeah. violence. We can say this is symbolic <laughs> violence, but this is good. This is a way of mobilizing sure. people, of also... Because we don't have to be naive, Ronnie. I mean... These people, these people that the street yeah. is contesting yeah. are, croc are dinosaurs. I mean, they won't, ease, they won't easily feel the heat. And this will replicate and this will be repeated. Sure. But when we talk about attacking today banks, tomorrow maybe storming supermarkets, maybe storming houses, I mean, people will yeah. get will stop you in the street, will take your car, yes. will take your wallet, and except this is something else. That's 1970s yeah, again. That's, and it's yeah. not only in Lebanon. You know, just to give you an anecdotal example, I was in, in Bogota a year ago, invited by the Lebanese community for a lecture, and then all the people who came and, and to, to pick me up from the hotel, all these young people, Lebanese people from third generation, had... Uh, armored cars yeah. and I, at one point I said why Why are you circulating why are you driving these cars and they told me now everything is fine but five years ago ten years ago we couldn't circulate we couldn't move in Bogota without a bodyguard and an armored car because people would stop you to just to take your money right. is this I mean if we're heading towards that and I think there are risks that we are heading towards that in order not to give the counter-revolution let's say, a, 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 a full flush in, in the game, and yeah. then they win it completely because they will say, okay, we are the only ones who can keep the order. Yeah. It will be a blend of Hezbollah, the, the Ahad, the army, etc., regardless of details. If we don't want to get into that and to, 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 to surrender to that at one point, mm -hmm. the revolution and the revolt and the movement, the Hirak, call it as you wish, will have to start organizing. They cannot leave uh, the space, the political space for such a game. Right. Uh, now, unless, unless what we are seeing is the expression of the most powerful part of the street and the movement and the process, I don't think so. But if this is it, mm, yeah. I think we are heading towards a very nasty set three or set four, if we want to take the metaphor. Which probably the and what, the you, most said, what yeah. you said, that Lebanon is so far, God bless, not violent, will become at one point violent if right. we don't I mean if we don't start to envisage that and confront it yeah. I mean of course uh, I don't buy at all the, the threat that for example the Minister of Foreign Affairs have, 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 have expressed in Rome a few weeks ago that <laughs> we are heading towards Syria and etc we are not and this is where if you notice I said Arab revolutions 2.0 yeah. these revolutions in Algeria in Sudan in yes. in in Lebanon in Iraq and etc are very much aware of uh, the fact that you have to stick very strongly to nonviolence right. but at some point violence is not or nonviolence is not your only choice it can be the choice that 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 someone is infringing on you um, yeah. that the power is uh, is obliging you to 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 confront like in Syria at one point for example in the beginning so um, so if we want to avoid that and if we want to avoid being taken over I mean the movement being taken over by the radical factions that we are starting to see the shades of in some banks and in some in some yeah. incidents and etc also there is a need to start let's say organizing strategizing thematizing and etc 
Even though, and I'll be cynical here and I don't like what I'm saying, even though sometimes you can make good use of certain levels of violence just to show your adversary that you're not completely someone you can, I mean, easily sweep away, but you can't go all the way in this in this game because you're not the strongest party in that. So in other words, the situation is fluid enough where you could see a, a degeneration. In other words, there is no guarantee that this will remain a peaceful, non-violent... Sure, there's no, guarantee. there's no guarantee. This is why the yeah. only guarantee that we can have is are the guarantees that we are giving to ourselves by building the movement, right, right. by strategizing, by starting to think ahead, by starting to say, okay, this will collapse. Let, let, you refer to the group that we have uh, gathered to write this paper and etc. And yeah, you said we are working this, on yes. a new paper. Yeah. Let me give you uh, a scoop about, I mean, the, the, the pitch of this new paper. The pitch will be the following. The system is collapsing. There's no way out of it. But after the collapse, any country, and Lebanon in particular, has the choice either to continue on the downward slope and collapse completely, and then you take the, the examples you want, Congo, uh, Venezuela, Right. Uh, Colombia, whatever. Or you can say, okay, fine, there are certain countries that collapsed and then who bounced back, right. like Portugal, Greece, etc., uh, etc. Et so we are not... story of austerity. Exactly, and, yeah. and we are not doomed for right. one or the other, but the choice between one or another will be very much predicated and function mm. of what we do today politically and economically in terms of organization. If we don't strategize and organize, the collapse will lead us to an endless downward slope and we'll reach the bottom. If we start to strategize, at one point the collapse will give us on the contrary, the, 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 the sufficient tools for rebounds, because the political class and the dominant class will be swept away by the collapse, right. provided we are organized to replace it. But if we are not, nothing will replace the, the, the order that is today. The sincere efforts that you and a dozen or so intellects, academics and thinkers, put towards that emergency rescue plan. Did anyone in a position of power in this country take you seriously? To my knowledge, no. And this is why I'm confident that this power structure is dead and over. It is comatose. I've been suggesting this recently to just friends and conversations that Lebanon, quote-unquote, the Lebanon I know, the Lebanon you know, died on October 17th. I think so. And... And I think you're saying it in a way that we don't know whether something better or worse will come in the near future, but the old order is gone. This is exactly my mindset, if I may say personally, and I think the mindset of a lot of people who are saying, okay, it's dead anyway, yeah. now we have to do something to replace it. We don't know what will be the replacement, but yeah. something is open. This is why I'm very much optimistic, like others, that something has been opened, but I'm afraid also and cautious and right. sometimes pessimistic, because if we don't know how to do and what to do instead of what is dying, we can stay in a situation of limbo that is that is very long and very complicated and very lethal also. Yeah. So the, and I will say something provocative, Ronnie. I, because of that, because the system is dead and we have to do something to replace it, I, if you really are uh, in the same position and hoping for a better future, we should bet on the failure of this government that is failing, that mm -hmm. is formed. Mm -hmm. I mean, people should not support this government, probably. If you are on the protest side, you should say, these people have to fail completely because we have to bury the cadaver. And the burying of the cadaver will be the death of, the death of this government. So we have to go to the end of the cycle sure. in order to start replacing. What I'm saying is yeah. not nihilistic or dangerous or, da or I mean, or, or aggressive. This is the dynamics that has to completely take its, its way in it's, order it's, for us to replace it. You can't do something new with, yeah. with all, you, you can't do new wine with old bottles, as they say. <laughs> but it is quite telling that many citizens without political clout read that paper and thought through it and they argued it and 
No, we had we had a fair amount of discussion, yes, debate and, and with people, sure. with experts, etc. But, et but in the political class, yeah. no one, to my knowledge, called and said, "Okay, let's discuss this. It's, right. it's interesting. Maybe you can." provide us the skeleton of this as, a, as an advice for the new government and etc. Yeah. We haven't seen that. So the this, this second potential paper that will be released, would that is the intended audience meant to build on those that read the first one and perhaps a, a future political class that is not there yet? Yeah. I think I, I told you about the pitch of it. I think the idea will be to say, look, the collapse is inevitable. Yeah. But after the collapse, we can choose to completely die or we can choose to uh, rebirth. So the audience wouldn't be necessarily for the ruling elite? No, it will, yeah. I, I hope it will be the start of uh, or a, a very small stone in the edifice of starting to structure. Yeah and strategize the protest and the movement in order to prepare for the Lebanon that will inevitably come to life again after the complete death of this structure. Yeah. I, I'm not saying that, that all the political figures will, will disappear. Of course not. I'm yeah. not stupid. And this is not, I mean, in terms of political science, it never happens. Yeah. Yeah. But the system, the way of doing things, the political culture, the economic choices, for example, this rentier system that we are living on yeah. uh, for decades, even before the war, yeah. has to end. Uh, and this is what we have to prepare. Yeah. And to prepare it, you can't keep alive bits and pieces of the old system. Because these bits and pieces are completely polluted. You, yeah. can't, you can't put them into the new puzzle. It doesn't work. They're beyond their expiration date. Exactly. Exactly. I, you know, I now, certain figures will be, of course, will, will be redeemed. They will redeem yeah. themselves. And this is normal and it is wanted because not everyone is, is, is right. to be thrown away. But the system as a systemic construction yes. will yeah. have to be, to be uh, I think, get, get over. One that encourages good governance as opposed to encourages poor, corrupt, mm -hmm. crony capitalism. Yeah. You know, partially. I, partially. Yeah. <laughs> and other things. And other things. I, I, uh, I want to end this by asking you a more personal story that has to do more with a fellow writer that I admire and you worked with, Samir Asir. Can you tell me a bit about his, his views leading up to the 2005 mm -hmm. protests? Not necessarily the, the, the disillusionment with what happened after March 14, and of course culminating in his, his horrible ending. I'm talking more about the way he saw the average protester mm -hmm. and the role of the citizen. And I think you, you mentioned this, you touched on it, which is the real issues that matter, less the geopolitics, more just the domestic accountability and all that. I've interviewed Giselle Khouri, uh, Ziad Majid. I've learned a lot from Malik Mrui, voices that all knew him as a friend and a colleague, just would he be happy with what's happening now? And I mean this on the, on the lowest level, the street level, yeah. the protest. This is undoubtable. I mean, Samir would have been ecstatic today with what's happening. Um, but let me tell you what, what your question puts me again back to what I was saying before. I mean, this oscillation between the macro-political and the micro-political and the political and the economic and, and this. Just a personal, and it's the first time I say that publicly. We were three uh, very good friends with Samir. Samir, a third person, and I. And we had a very heated debate that ended in a sort of dispute about mm -hmm. one point. It was in 97, 98, uh -huh. before the election of Emil Lahoud to presidency. Yes. We were already, and you can, I mean, all of you and the listeners can go back to the Orient Express and, and look at the archives. We were very much against the, the, Haririan, the Hariri political economy system, the corruption yes. then already, etc. In, in Beirut or in Paris? In Beirut. In Beirut, in Beirut. In Beirut. And okay. we were sitting in, in a house in Ashafi. Mm -hmm. And the debate was, should we today give the priority to fighting the corruption of the political economic system that Hariri has put in mm -hmm. place, mm -hmm. or we should give priority to the sovereignty and the freedom of the country against the Syrians? Mm -hmm. And at one point, of course, we knew that both factors were intertwined and completely feeding each other. Yeah. 
And I, I won't tell you what was the conclusion of the debate, but the mere fact that we had this debate and we were very staunchly opposed on what should we uh, confront first in yes. priority. My feeling is that today what's happening is a, is a marriage yeah. of the two issues. And yeah. this is why I think Samir would have been very happy because mm -hmm. today you are not anymore forced to choose to fight this or that exclusively. Right. Because you know that today fighting both is exactly what you have to do because if not, you are losing the battle. Right. So, um, and this is where I'm saying that even though you are confronted today, we are concentrated today on the day-to-day -day issues, on the, on the microeconomic or the, 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 the corruption governance and etc. You can't forget about the importance of talking of the political system as yeah. such. Now, of course, there's the regional question that is something else that, that can engulf you in something sure. else. Yeah. But this is where I think this, the importance of what's happening since October 17 is that it is marrying and blending things that are macro-political, micro-political, macro-economic, micro-economic, day-to-day, citizenship, uh, environment. Uh, I mean, all the themes that were left aside or tackled with or tackled uh, partially and sectorially so far. Yeah. This is the first time that you have a kind of let's say, synthesis of all this together. Mm -hmm. And this is why, if we don't seize that moment and, and start to put it in a political framework, we would have lost this momentum. Yeah. And Samir probably definitely would have said, guys, this is your moment. This is the moment you have to seize. Definitely, because, because now you can talk about everything together. Right. And you, it's hard to argue against that, because if you're able to bring up all the flaws at once. I think that's the magic of the moment, that you are unified in your, in your collective outrage of how this country has worked mm -hmm. or not worked. And it's, I think there is hope there. And I, I try to read into his older writings now, and I sense, I sense that he touched on all these issues sure. in equal measure. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, you need a domestic accountability to maybe see through all the mess. And I, I, I don't know if I got that right at the end, but it seems like people on the streets, especially in Martyr's Square, saying, Killon Yani, Killon, exactly. is really just, I, I can hear Samir Asir writing that. Mm -hmm. you he know? could have invented this slogan. Yeah. You, 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 you said the word that is, I think, very important, the magic. Uh, mm. uh, I mean, without being over-romantic or uh, over-rosy, but... Anyone who was in the streets of Beirut during these last weeks couldn't but see the magic of, of certain moments, yeah. of certain aspects. Even in 2005, okay, I, I was there partially because I, then I left for Paris, but there was something lacking. There was something very moving, but there was something lacking. And what yeah. was lacking was probably the day-to-day the -day thing. I right. mean, we were talking about big issues. Yeah. We're not talking about our small issues. Today we are talking about both. Yes. And this is why probably the magic is there. Yeah. And maybe, I mean, once again in this interview, let's not give a chance for that to, to wither away and, and slip from our hands because it won't, it won't be replicated easily again. I completely agree. I sense that good and bad things are going to happen. I hope more good than bad for the time being. And I really appreciate your time. Inshallah. So, Thank you so much. Thank you, Joseph. Thank you. Thank you.